Section 7, Book 11, Part 3 of the Autobiography of Goethe, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Autobiography of Goethe, Volume 2, From My Life, Poetry and Truth, by Owen Wolfgang von Goethe, translated by John Oxenford, 1812-1877, Book 11, Part 3. I now intend to describe at length how all this came to nothing and how it happened that I again passed over from the French to the German side. Let me be allowed, as hitherto, some general reflections by way of transition. There are few biographies which can represent a pure, quiet, steady progress of the individual. Our life, as well as all in which we are contained, is, in an incomprehensible manner, composed of freedom and necessity. A will is prediction of what we shall do under all circumstances, but these circumstances lay hold on us in their own fashion. The what lies in us, the how seldom depends on us, after the wherefore we dare not ask, and on this account we are rightly referred to the queer. The French tongue I had liked from my youth upwards. I had learned to know the language through a bustling life, and a bustling life through the language. It had become my own, like a second mother tongue, without grammar and instruction, by mere intercourse and practice. I now wished to use it with still greater fluency, and again gave Strasbourg the preference as an university residence to other high schools. But alas, it was just there that I had to experience the very reverse of my hopes, and to be turned rather from than to this language and these manners. The French, who generally aim at good behaviour, are indulgent towards foreigners who begin to speak their language. They will not laugh anyone out of countenance at a fault, or blame him in direct terms. However, since they cannot endure sins committed against their language, they have a manner of repeating, and, as it were, courteously confirming what has been said with another turn, at the same time making use of the expression which should properly have been employed, thus leading the intelligent and attentive to what is right and proper. Now, although if one is in earnest, if one has self-denial enough to profess oneself a pupil, one gains a great deal and is much advanced by this plan, one nevertheless always feels in some degree humiliated. And since one talks for the sake of the subject matter also, often too much interrupted or even distracted, so that one impatiently lets the conversation drop. This happened with me more than with others, as I always thought that I had to say something interesting, and on the other hand to hear something important, and did not wish to be always brought back merely to the expression, a case which often occurred with me as my French was just as motley as that of any other foreigner. I had observed the accent and idiom of footmen, valets, guards, young and old actors, theatrical lovers, peasants, and heroes. 
and this babylonish idiom was rendered still more confused by another odd ingredient as i liked to hear the french reformed clergy and visited their churches the more willingly as a sunday walk to bockenheim was on this account not only permitted but ordered but even this was not enough for as in my youthful years i had always been chiefly directed to the german of the sixteenth century i soon included the french also of that noble epoch among the objects of my inclination montaigne amiot rabelais marot were my friends and excited in me sympathy and delight now all these different elements moved in my discourse chaotically one with another so that for the hearer the meaning was lost in the oddity of the expression nay an educated frenchman could no more courteously correct me but had to censure me and tutor me in plain terms it therefore happened with me here once more as it had happened in leipzig only on this occasion i could not appeal to the right of my native place to speak idiomatically as well as other provinces but being on a foreign ground and soil was forced to adapt myself to traditional laws perhaps we might even have resigned ourselves to this if an evil genius had not whispered into our ears that all endeavours by a foreigner to speak french would remain unsuccessful for a practised ear can perfectly well detect a german italian or englishman under a french mask one is tolerated but never received into the bosom of the only language holy church only a few exceptions were granted they named to us a herr von grimm but even schöpflin it seemed did not reach the summit they allowed that he had early seen the necessity of expressing himself in french to perfection they approved of his inclination to converse with every one and especially to entertain the great and persons of rank they praised him that living in the place where he was he had made the language of the country his own and had endeavoured as much as possible to render himself a frenchman of society and orator but what does he gain by the denial of his mother tongue and his endeavours after a foreign one he cannot make it right with anybody in society they are pleased to deem him vain as if any one would or could converse with others without some feeling for self and self-complacency then the refined connoisseurs of the world and of language assert that there is in him more of dissertation and dialogue than of conversation properly so called the former was generally recognized as the original and fundamental sin of the germans the latter as the cardinal virtue of the french as a public orator he fares no better if he prints a well-elaborated address to the king or the princes the jesuits who are ill disposed to him as a protestant lay wait for him and show that his terms of expression are not french instead of consoling ourselves with this and bearing as green wood that which has been laid upon the dry we were annoyed at such pedantic injustice we fall into despair and by this striking example are the more convinced that it is a vain endeavour to try to satisfy the french by the matter itself 
as they are too closely bound to the external conditions under which everything is to appear. We therefore embraced the opposite resolution of getting rid of the French language altogether, and of directing ourselves more than ever with might and earnestness to our own mother tongue. And for this we found opportunity and sympathy in actual life. Alsace had not been connected with France so long that an affectionate adherence to the old constitution, manners, language and costume did not still exist with young and old. If the conquered party loses half his existence by compulsion, he looks upon it as disgraceful voluntarily to part with the other half. He therefore holds fast to all that can recall to him the good old time, and foster in him the hope that a better epoch will return. Very many inhabitants of Strasbourg formed little circles, separate indeed, but nevertheless united in spirit, which were always increased and recruited by the numerous subjects of German princes who held considerable lands under French sovereignty, since fathers and sons, either for the sake of study or business, resided for a longer or shorter time at Strasbourg. At our table nothing but German was spoken. Salzmann expressed himself in French with much fluency and elegance, but with respect to his endeavours and acts was a perfect German. Lasse might have been set up as a pattern of a German youth. Meyer of Lindau liked to get on with good German too well to shine in good French and if among the rest many were inclined to the gallic speech and manners they yet while they were with us allowed the general tone to prevail with them from the language we turned to political affairs we had not indeed much to say in praise of our own imperial constitution we granted that it consisted of mere legal contradictions but exalted ourselves so much the more above the present French constitution, which lost itself in mere lawless abuses, while the government only showed its energy in the wrong place, and was forced to admit that a complete change in affairs was already publicly prophesied, with black forebodings. If, on the other hand, we looked towards the north, we were shone upon by Frederick, the polar star, he seemed to turn about himself Germany, Europe, nay, the whole world. His preponderance in everything was most strongly manifested when the Prussian exercise and even the Prussian stick was introduced into the French army. As for the rest, we forgave him his predilection for a foreign language, since we felt satisfaction that his French poets, philosophers and literateurs continued to annoy him and often declared that he was to be considered and treated only as an intruder. But what more than all forcibly alienated us from the French was the unpolite opinion repeatedly maintained that the Germans in general, as well as the king who was striving after French cultivation, were deficient in taste. With respect to this kind of talk, which followed every judgment like a burden, we endeavoured to solace ourselves with contempt, 
but we could so much the less come to a clear understanding about it as we were assured that Maynard had already said that the French writers possessed everything but taste, and had also learned from the then living Paris that all the authors were wanting in taste, and that Voltaire himself could not escape this severest of reproaches. Having been before and often directed to nature, we would allow of nothing but truth and uprightness of feeling and the quick blunt expression of it friendship love and brotherhood of themselves are understood was the watchword and cry of battle by which the members of our little academical horde used to know and enliven each other this maxim lay at the foundation of all our social banquets on the occasions of which we did not fail to pay many an evening visit to cousin michel in his well-known germanhood Footnote. Michel is exactly to the Germans what John Bull is to the English translator. If in what has hitherto been described only external contingent causes and personal peculiarities are found, the French literature had in itself certain qualities which were rather repulsive than attractive to an aspiring youth. It was advanced in years and genteel and by neither of these qualities can youth which looks about for enjoyment of life and for freedom be delighted since the sixteenth century the course of french literature had never been seen to be completely interrupted nay the internal and religious disturbances as well as the external wars had accelerated its progress but as we heard generally maintained it was a hundred years ago that it had existed in its full bloom through favourable circumstances they said an abundant harvest had at once ripened and had been happily gathered in so that the great talents of the eighteenth century had to be moderately contented with mere gleanings in the meantime however much had become antiquated first of all comedy which had to be freshened up to adapt itself less perfectly indeed but still with new interest to actual life and manners of the tragedies many had vanished from the stage and voltaire did not let slip the important opportunity which offered of editing corneille's works that he might show how defective his predecessor had been whom according to the general voice he had not equalled and even this very voltaire the wonder of his time had grown old like the literature which for nearly a century he had animated and governed by his side still existed and vegetated many literateurs in a more or less active and happy old age who one by one disappeared the influence of society upon authors increased more and more for the best society consisting of persons of birth rank and property chose for one of their chief recreations literature which thus became quite social and genteel persons of rank and literateurs mutually cultivated and necessarily perverted each other for the genteel has always something excluding in its nature 
and excluding also was the french criticism being negative detracting and fault-finding the higher class made use of such judgments against the authors the authors with somewhat less decorum proceeded in the same manner against each other nay against their patrons if the public was not to be awed they endeavoured to take it by surprise or gain it by humility and thus apart from the movements which shook church and state to their inmost core there arose such a literary ferment that voltaire himself stood in need of his full activity and his whole preponderance to keep himself above the torrent of general disesteem already he was openly called an old capricious child his endeavours carried on indefatigably were regarded as the vain efforts of a decrepit age certain principles on which he had stood during his whole life and to the spread of which he had devoted his days were no more held in esteem and honour nay his deity by acknowledging whom he continued to declare himself free from atheism was not conceded him and thus he himself the grand sire and patriarch was forced like his youngest competitor to watch the present moment to catch at new power to do his friends too much good and his enemies too much harm and under the appearance of a passionate striving for the love of truth to act deceitfully and falsely was it worth the trouble to have led such a great active life if it was to end in greater dependence than it had begun how insupportable such a position was did not escape his high mind his delicate sensibility he often relieved himself by leaps and thrusts gave the reins to his humour and carried a few of his sword cuts too far at which friends and enemies for the most part showed themselves indignant for every one thought he could play the superior to him though no one could equal him a public which only hears the judgment of old men becomes over-wise too soon and nothing is more unsatisfactory than a mature judgment adopted by an immature mind to us youths before whom with our german love of truth and nature honesty towards both ourselves and others hovered as the best guide both in life and learning the factious dishonesty of voltaire and the perversion of so many worthy subjects became more and more annoying and we daily strengthened ourselves in our aversion from him he could never have done with degrading religion and the sacred books for the sake of injuring priestcraft as they called it and had thus produced to me many an unpleasant sensation Footnote. um den sogenannten pfaffen zu schaden as we have not the word for a priest which exactly expresses the contempt involved in pfaffer the word priestcraft has been introduced translator but when i now learned that to weaken the tradition of a deluge he had denied all petrified shells and only admitted them as lusus naturae he entirely lost my confidence 
for my own eyes had on the Barschberg plainly enough shown me that I stood on the bottom of an old dried-up sea among the exuvia of its original inhabitants. These mountains had certainly been once covered with waves, whether before or during the deluge did not concern me. It was enough that the valley of the Rhine had been a monstrous lake, a bay extending beyond the reach of the eyesight. Out of this I was not to be talked. I thought much more of advancing in the knowledge of lands and mountains. Let what would be the result. French literature, then, had grown old and genteel in itself and through Voltaire. Let us devote some further consideration to this remarkable man. From his youth upwards, Voltaire's wishes and endeavours have been directed to an active and social life, to politics, to gain on a large scale, to a connection with the heads of the earth, and a profitable use of this connection that he himself might be one of the heads of the earth also. No one has easily made himself so dependent for the sake of being independent. He even succeeded in subjugating minds. The nation became his own. In vain did his opponents unfold their moderate talents and their monstrous hate. Nothing succeeded in injuring him. The court he could never reconcile to himself, but by way of compensation, foreign kings were his tributaries. Catherine and Frederick the Great, Gustavus of Sweden, Christian of Denmark, Poniatowski of Poland, Henry of Prussia, Charles of Brunswick, acknowledged themselves his vassals. Even popes thought they must coax him by some acts of indulgence. That Joseph the Second had kept aloof from him did not at all redound to the honour of this prince, for it would have done no harm to him and his undertakings if, with such a fine intellect and with such noble views, he had been somewhat more practically clever and a better appreciator of the mind. Footnote. Practically clever is put as a kind of equivalent for the difficult word Geistreich, translator. What I have here stated in a compressed form, and in some connection, sounded at that time as a cry of the moment, as a perpetual discord, unconnected and uninstructive in our ears. Nothing was heard but the praise of those who had gone before. Something good and new was required, but the newest was never liked. Scarcely had a patriot exhibited on the long, inanimate stage national French heart-inspiring subjects, scarcely had the siege of Calais gained enthusiastic applause than the peace, together with all its national comrades, was considered empty and in every sense objectionable. The delineations of manners by Détouche, which had so often delighted me when a boy, were called weak. The name of this honest man had passed away, and how many authors could I not point out for the sake of whom I had to endure the reproach that I judged like a provincial if I showed any sympathy for such men in their works in opposition to any one who was carried along by the newest literary torrent. 
thus to our other german comrades we became more and more annoying according to our view according to the peculiarity of our own nature we had to retain the impressions of objects to consume them but slowly and if it was to be so to let them go as late as possible we were convinced that by faithful observation by continued occupation something might be gained from all things and that by persevering zeal we must at last arrive at a point where the ground of the judgment may be expressed at the same time with the judgment itself neither did we fail to perceive that the great and noble french world offered us many an advantage and much profit for rousseau had really touched our sympathies but if we considered his life and his fate he was nevertheless compelled to find the great reward for all he did in this that he could live unacknowledged and forgotten at paris if we heard the encyclopedists mentioned or opened a volume of their monstrous work we felt as if we were going between the innumerable moving spools and looms in a great factory where what with the mere creaking and rattling what with all the mechanism embarrassing both eyes and noses what with the mere incomprehensibility of an arrangement the parts of which work into each other in the most manifold way what with the contemplation of all that is necessary to prepare a piece of cloth we feel disgusted with the very coat which we wear upon our backs diderot was sufficiently akin to us as indeed in everything for which the french blame him he is a true german but even his point of view was too high his circle of vision was too extended for us to range ourselves with him and place ourselves at his side nevertheless his children of nature whom he continued to bring forward and dignify with great rhetorical art pleased us very much his brave poachers and smugglers enchanted us and this rabble afterwards throve but too well upon the german parnassus it was he also who like rousseau diffused a disgust of social life a quiet introduction to those monstrous changes of the world in which everything permanent appeared to sink however we ought now to put aside these considerations and to remark what influence these two men have had upon art even here they pointed even from here they urged us towards nature the highest problem of any art is to produce by appearance the illusion of a higher reality but it is a false endeavour to realise the appearance until at last only something commonly real remains as an ideal locality the stage by the application of the laws of perspective to coulisses ranged one behind the other had attained the greatest advantage and this very gain they now wished wantonly to abandon by shutting up the sides of the theatre and forming real room walls with such an arrangement of the stage the piece itself the actor's mode of playing in a word everything was to coincide and thus an entirely new theatre was to arise the french actors had in comedy attained the summit of the true in art 
their residence at paris their observations of the externals of the court the connection of the actors and actresses with the highest classes by means of love affairs all contributed to transplant to the stage the greatest realness and seemliness of social life and on this point the friends of nature found but little to blame however they thought they made a great advance if they chose for their pieces earnest and tragical subjects in which the citizen life should not be wanting used pure verse for the higher mode of expression and thus banished unnatural verse together with unnatural declamation and gesticulation it is extremely remarkable and has not been generally noticed that at this time even the old severe rhythmical artistical tragedy was threatened with a revolution which could only be averted by great talents and the power of tradition in opposition to the actor lequin who played his heroes with a special theatrical decorum with deliberation elevation and force and kept himself aloof from the natural and ordinary came forward a man named Alfred, who declared war against everything unnatural and in his tragic acting sought to express the highest truth this mode might not have accorded with that of the other parisian actors he stood alone while they kept together and adhering to his views obstinately enough he chose to leave paris rather than alter them and came through strasbourg there we saw him playing the part of augustus in cinna that of mithridates and others of the sort with the truest and most natural dignity he appeared as a tall handsome man more slender than strong not properly speaking with an imposing but nevertheless with a noble pleasing demeanour his acting was well considered and quiet without being cold and forcible enough where force was required he was a very well practised actor and one of the few who know how to turn the artificial completely into nature and nature completely into the artificial it is really those few whose misunderstood good qualities always originate the doctrine of false naturalness and thus will i also make mention of a work which is indeed small but which made an epoch in a remarkable manner i mean rousseau's pygmalion a great deal could be said upon it for this strange production floats between nature and art with the full endeavour of resolving the latter into the former we see an artist who has produced what is most perfect and yet does not find any satisfaction in having according to art represented his idea externally to himself and given it to a higher life no it must also be drawn down to him into the earthly life he will destroy the highest thing that mind and deed have produced by the commonest act of sensuality all this and much else right and foolish true and half true operating upon us as it did still more perplexed our notions we were driven astray through many byways and roundabout ways and thus on many sides was prepared that german literary revolution of which we were witnesses 
and to which, consciously or unconsciously, willingly or unwillingly, we unceasingly contributed. We had neither impulse nor tendency to be illumined and advanced in a philosophical manner. On religious subjects we thought we had sufficiently enlightened ourselves, and therefore the violent contest of the French philosophers with the priesthood was tolerably indifferent to us. Prohibited books condemned to the flames, which then made a great noise, produced no effect upon us. I mention as an instance, to serve for all, the système de la nature, which we took in hand out of curiosity. We did not understand how such a book could be dangerous. It appeared to us so dark, so Sumerian, so death-like, that we found it a trouble to endure its presence, and shuddered at it, as at a spectre. The author fancies he gives his book a peculiar recommendation when he declares in his preface that, as a decrepit old man just sinking into the grave, he wishes to announce the truth to his cotemporaries and to posterity. We laughed him out, for we thought we had observed that by old people nothing in the world that is lovable and good is in fact appreciated. Old churches have dark windows. To know how cherries and berries taste, we must ask children and sparrows. These were our jibes and maxims, and thus that book, as the very quintessence of senility, appeared to us as unsavoury, nay absurd. All was to be of necessity, so said the book, and therefore there was no God. But could there not be a God by necessity too? asked we. We indeed confessed at the same time that we could not withdraw ourselves from the necessities of day and night, the seasons, the influence of climate, physical and animal conditions, but nevertheless we felt within us something that appeared like perfect freedom of will, and again something which sought to counterbalance this freedom. The hope of becoming more and more rational, of making ourselves more and more independent of external things, nay, of ourselves, we could not give up. The word freedom sounds so beautiful that we cannot do without it, even though it designates an error. None of us had read the book through, for we found ourselves deceived in the expectations with which we had opened it. A system of nature was announced, and therefore we hoped to learn really something of nature, our idol. Physics and chemistry, descriptions of heaven and earth, natural history and anatomy, with much else, had now for years, and up to the last day, constantly directed us to the great adorned world, and we would willingly have heard both particulars and generals about suns and stars, planets and moons, mountains, valleys, rivers and seas, with all that live and move in them. That in the course of this much must occur which would appear to the common man as injurious, to the clergy as dangerous, and to the state as inadmissible, we had no doubt. And we hoped that the little book had not unworthily stood the fiery ordeal. But how hollow and empty did we feel in this melancholy atheistical half-night, in which earth vanished with all its images, 
heaven with all its stars there was to be a matter in motion from all eternity and by this motion right and left and in every direction without anything further it was to produce the infinite phenomena of existence even all this we should have allowed to pass if the author out of his moved matter had really built up the world before our eyes but he seemed to know as little about nature as we did for having set up some general ideas he quits them at once for the sake of changing that which appears as higher than nature or as a higher nature within nature into material heavy nature which is moved indeed but without directional form and thus he fancies he has gained a great deal if after all this book did us any mischief it was this that we took a hearty dislike to all philosophy and especially metaphysics and remained in that dislike while on the other hand we threw ourselves into living knowledge experience action and poetizing with all the more liveliness and passion thus on the very borders of france we had at once got rid and clear of everything french about us the french way of life we found too defined and genteel their poetry cold their criticism annihilating their philosophy abstruse and yet insufficient so that we were on the point of resigning ourselves to rude nature at least by way of experiment if another influence had not for a long time prepared us for higher and freer views of the world and intellectual enjoyments as true as they were poetical and swayed us first moderately and secretly but afterwards with more and more openness and force end of section seven